Have you ever wanted an instruction manual for your life? Something that went over the stuff that isn't always obvious? Or even some of the stuff that is? My name is Sarah Ramsey. I'm a singer, voice, performance, and growth coach, and I've spent a lifetime open to the lessons behind our experiences and seeking out pathways to becoming more enlightened, better humans. And I'm Dr. Stefan Rabnett. I've been a doctor of traditional Chinese medicine for over 20 years, and I'm also a Jay Shetty certified life coach. I've long been fascinated with our human superpowers, the ones we don't quite have the instruction manual for, and I'm forever curious about how we can unlock them. Welcome to This Big Life Podcast, where we have deeper conversations about the nature of existence, our place in it, and how we can leverage these things to create the life we want. Basically, we're bringing the woo-woo to you, you. But don't worry, we don't take ourselves too seriously. here today we are going to talk about the stories that keep us stuck in lack rather than inviting abundance and receiving it's a yeah. big topic this is a big topic um because receiving in itself is a massive topic um mm -hmm. and you know we often think of receiving as as a financial aspect, because that's right. kind of the most, I think, poignant kind of example that we can and kind of tangible thing that we can, you know, make sense of and see and that type of thing coming in. But really, it receiving kind of goes across the board. It's kind of receiving Absolutely. everything. Yeah. And I think that sometimes um, those themes that we have, and um, let me rephrase that, like, I think when we talk about the stories of lack, they kind of fall into two categories. Those that we're aware of, like the kind of stories that we've told ourselves that are still kind of valid. And then those to other aspects that we're not quite as aware of. And I think it's those ones that seep into the other aspects, like receiving in general, that type mm. of stuff, the barriers we put up that we're not always aware that we are. And I think both of those aspects are very relevant to kind of increasing, you know, abundance and kind of the counter of lack in life. So I'm excited to dive in and explore. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I agree with you. I think that the, like, there's two really clear pieces to examine, you know, there's the conscious level and the unconscious level, right? And what we're aiming for, I think, the way I perceive it anyway, is that we're, we're trying to bring the unconscious into the conscious because that's mm -hmm. how we can actually address shifting it in any way. Totally. No, exactly. Exactly. And I think that's why sometimes like those stories that we are aware of, it's not that they're not valid because they are right. And I think they're an important mm -hmm. aspect to work on, but sometimes I think we can give them almost a little bit too much weight. Right. And like, Oh, it's this, this is why I'm not receiving. And that's almost why we can stay stuck in it because we're not ah. paying attention to the other stuff that we're not aware of. And, you know, that gets into the whole aspect of cognitive bias and, you know, mm -hmm. which is a massive topic in and of itself. So 
Sarah. I also think that we can get stuck in attachment to those stories. Totally. Right? So it it's um we get atta- very attached to our stories surrounding lack and we're not actually always willing to give those up. And we don't always see how that that connection uh keeps us there. Why do you think we stay there? Because this is my perspective on it because the familiar feels safer than the unfamiliar. Totally. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And it's almost like an aspect of control, right? And, you know, the word control has got layers of kind of goodness and badness, so to speak. But ultimately, there's nothing wrong with control, but it's what we use as a safety mechanism, right? And we can, Mm -hmm. if we can control something and keep it familiar, then it's like we get to store something away with almost less work somehow even though in the bigger picture that's not a logical thing because it'll create more for a mind to kind of worry about but it is kind of that immediacy in terms of okay that's right there I know that that is exactly what that is it's familiar and so I'm going to keep it that way and control it that way and just kind of go on with my life but still have stress (laughs) it's the devil you know versus the devil you don't know exactly right yeah yeah so what are some of the stories that you see as whether they're your own personal ones or whether they're, you know, uh, stories that you see in your coaching practice or, um, you know, with clients and, and friends, what are some of the common themes of stories that you see people repeat that keep us stuck in lack? Well, I think it's one that I see a lot and I can relate to it too, is we charge money with so much meaning Mm. way more so than what is actual just of a currency of exchange. And it's not hard to look out into the world and find examples of people not using money for the greatest good for lack of a term (laughs) or or whatever the case is, right? But at the end of the day, that's not money's fault but we kind of can charge it up with a little bit of thickness and less than awesome because we're like, Oh, okay. Money's dirty. Um, I did an exercise once and someone, you know, you went through the different kind of what does money look like? What does money um, smell like? What does money taste like? And for me, it was a really weird experience because suddenly it was just like dirty. There was an, there was an aspect to it. And I realized that, there was a bit of that energy that I have placed upon money. And, and I can look, you know, we talk about the stories we tell ourselves. Well, I do have a story that I'm like, okay, this is, you know, part of Stefan's kind of relationship with money in terms of, um, to give you a brief little kind of synopsis, like, you know, my family um, had money and then there was a lot of friction in, in like my mother's family about the money. And then there were themes that came out of that in terms of resentment, entitlement, different stuff like that. So that all money became a little bit synonymous of like those things. So part of me was like, well, I don't want those things. So you're kind of throwing the, well, I don't know where this saying came from, but the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. Right. right? So I kind of put like money, no, because I had charged money with entitlement um, with friction, which bet with backstabbing with all these kind of things. So I'm just like, well, I don't want those things. So on a subconscious level, part of me was pushing money away. 
And I see that a lot with a lot of people. Um, you know, basically it's just like, well, you know, money does more harm than good, or there's just different things. And again, I think people um, use other people's examples of money, of what they've done with it, as a way to kind of charge money in some way. And I think we all do that. And honestly, I think we're all not aware of how much we do do that. Like I'm aware of that possibility and I'm still know I do that all the time, right? Mm. I'm charging money with this kind of, um, um, kind of story or even stress, right? Cause I think even contemporary stuff, we charge a lot of us are stressed about money in some way. And yeah. it's always all relative, right? You, know, you can look at somebody else like, oh, well, they have this, the thing that I'm stressing about, they must be kind of happy. Well, it's not like we all have a relationship with money and it's kind of a moving target. And it's definitely something that's um, uh, relational, like it, it's, it, it's something that kind of moves around a little bit. Anyways, it is an interesting topic because we, we have it. And um, just f finishing that thought of the stress. So sometimes we avoid that stress by avoiding that thing altogether, even mm -hmm. though it's kind of eating away, like in the back seat, kind of coming at us. We're like, Oh, well, I, you know, Oh no. Like I, when I'm, I used to have a thing where I hated to look at like bank statements or mm -hmm. my credit card statements because mm -hmm. I didn't want to be stressed. Right. But it is that really a beneficial practice. <laughs> not, not really. really? But, uh, <laughs> but I understand I, it. It's just exactly. avoidance. Exactly. So avoidance, right? So it's like one of those things, well, we want money, but you know, the avoidance of all the stuff that's kind of significant and around it. So, so yeah, I think what we charge it with is it, it plays a big part, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not just the money. You know, because the reality is, is it's not money's fault, right? Money's just a currency. They're like, at the end of the day, there's kind of tokens to Disneyland, right? They're just yeah. a means of exchange for something. Um, but we have it. So anyways, that's kind of what I've seen. Um, what have you seen? Like, what, what do you feel? Well, I, I think that there's, um, I think there's different pieces of this. I think financial... Um, attachment when we're talking about lack or um, abundance, it, putting that into context financially, I think that's really common. I think often the financial aspect really does get rooted in our family patterning, like what you were talking about. I know for me, um, you know, in my family, there was um, a little bit of a, an attachment where it was the the not uh, a conscious one. I, I want to preface that by saying it was not intentional and conscious, but this is how it played out. That the men in the family tended to be, um, you know, bigger earners and had more money and the women in the family less so. Um, and for me, there was an attachment it was interesting. I was, I sort of just figured this out as I was listening to what you were just saying, but to me, there's an attachment between money, like an, a, a prosperity and abundance of money and responsibility. Mm. So having money comes with 
a high level of responsibility, whether that's the responsibility that comes with having it or the responsibility that comes with earning it. It can be any of that. But for me, I'm a person who has felt overwhelmed by too much responsibility all of my life. So it actually makes sense to me that I play that out right through the financial piece of it, because I don't want to add to my level of responsibility because it's, it puts me in a state of overwhelm all the time. You know, that, I mean, that's a, that's a pattern I work with in my life. Interesting. Yeah. But I think there's other aspects to examine here that are not just financial as well, Mm -hmm. but I actually think the root underlying stuff, um, is applicable and it doesn't so much matter whether we are talking about finances or any other kind of abundance, whether we're talking about uh, an abundance of like love or relationships or an abundance of freedom or an abundance of time, or, you know, there's lots of different places we can look at abundance versus lack um, or ease versus lack. Like, I Mm -hmm. think that's another way of looking at it, but I think that there's some, some places, like, I think lack is really ultimately rooted in fear, uh, comparison, envy, judgment, self-worth, um, or, 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 you know, lacking the, the belief of your own worth and over attaching, um, to our feelings and reactions. Yeah, that's well said. And so like one word that popped when you were saying all that, like even just when we were talking about the aspects of money and the stuff that don't relate to money is those barriers are there like as a protection, right? Like Mm -hmm. with respect to responsibility and that type of thing, you're protecting yourself, right? And I think we do that in general um, as a barrier to receiving. Like when we have... um, and this is another interesting topic too, but this, this idea of putting barriers around ourselves to protect ourselves mm-hmm. is an interesting kind of, um, well, it's interesting, right? Because on one level, you're like, yeah, of course. Okay, well, I'll surround myself and you know, I'm going to you know, not take on anybody's negative energy and I'm going to protect myself that way. But it's interesting because when we're barri- like barricading ourselves in a certain way, by nature, we're not open to receive fully. So that's an interesting thing. And I know when I started my practice, like doing acupuncture years and years and years ago, it was a big thing. You you know, people would tell you, okay, well, you know, you got to protect yourself. So you don't get a headache after you treat someone with a headache. And, and it is interesting because there is an element of that, but what I've come to kind of realize and, and um, you know, I'm not the only one that like realizes this though, Mm -hmm. is like that aspect of I'm blocking out something when I'm doing that. I'm not fully receiving when I'm mm-hmm. doing that. And I, I think that that's interesting because it's okay. Again, we want to protect ourselves, right? Like Healthy boundaries. You, totally. You know, healthy boundaries. But in every aspect, and it's okay that it's hard to do, but I know the way that I would in an ideal world like to be. And that would be to be able to receive everything. It's just that I don't have to align and agree with what Mm -hmm. I'm receiving or resist and react to it, right? Mm -hmm. There's a third option. And that's really almost, I think, kind of true receiving. But again, even though I cognitively can tell myself that I still have reactions and experiential kind of things where I wanted to protect myself, right? Like a just barrier, like, oh my goodness. 
And so just to kind of further this aspect of like people's energy, right? Because mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of empathic people and people are just like, whoa, right? Their sensors are amped up and they're like, okay, well, I got to put a barrier on this. And I think ultimately the way in a perfect world, we wouldn't be numbing our senses coming in. We would just shift what we do with that incoming data as opposed to blocking it kind of coming in. Yeah. And so in that aspect, letting it, letting it flow through rather than exactly. letting it stick. Totally. But we're, it's, it's our nature. Exactly. That's a great yeah. word is stick, right? We're used to like letting it like, st- like making it stick to us. Right. Yeah. There's a way of making sense of it, a way of kind of um, making a c- conclusion about it, you know, as you kind of put it in some sort of box in order to put it in some sort of box, we've got to catch it, stick it and kind of do that. Anyways, I think that that's interesting because I know one way is that I'm constantly trying to learn is trying to constantly being an allowance, right? And of, of mm-hmm. everything, knowing that whatever's coming in, I don't have to um, react to, which includes like reactions aren't always quote unquote bad. Like one of my reactions is to mm-hmm. try to solve everything. Mm-hmm. Right. So you get like an in it, like you're so like, okay, well, I got to solve this kind of thing as opposed to just being an allowance of it and still letting yourself take action eventually if, if that's what kind of comes from it. But um, it is just literally being in allowance of it. And being yeah. an allowance means I think there's like no real charge, which means nothing's really sticking to you. But it doesn't mean that you're ignoring it. And it doesn't mean you're overly reacting to it. It just kind of is. But again, that sounds all great and wonderful, but it's hard. And But what you're talking about actually is sort of the basis of mindfulness, right? Exactly. Where you get to yeah. observe yourself, uh, like you observe the things happening, you observe your thoughts about it, but you don't attach to them. Totally. Yeah, that's exactly it. I like that. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's mindful. Right. That mindfulness aspect, because I think, again, even the more we are with that, then the different layers of our brains that usually kind of compartmentalize and store stuff and we're in habitual reaction, but we're not even really aware we're acting a certain way. The more mindful we are, the more everything kind of seeps together and we become more aware of those kind of self-limiting beliefs that we Mm -hmm. didn't even really know that we had. So I think that, yeah, that's definitely the direction to go, but it's okay that it's damn hard to get to get there yeah because we like to react and we have learned every single one of us that it's not not totally safe to receive and it's and i think what also gets us is and again no judgment it's just kind of how we roll is like our parents usually have always kind of done or set some sort of example where it isn't totally safe to receive from the areas that you totally trust. And I'm not throwing parents everywhere under the bus because, you know, I'm, I'm a parent and I know I'm doing that too. Right. To a certain degree, it's kind of how they roll. Here's the thing. None of our kids are going to get out unscathed. No. All we can really do is try to do better than the generation before us, but none of us are doing it perfectly. And, and as a tangent, but because, you know, we love tangents here is, is, is I think that's it's by design. It's just like how we know now we're not supposed to have a completely sterile environment of bacteria to protect mm. our kids. Our kids need a little bit of exposure of bacteria, dirty environment, that type of thing. And yeah. then their immune systems grow and they adapt. 
Well, it's the same thing emotionally, right? We need yeah. those emotionally non-sterile moments of intensity to a, to a certain degree, right? There's a balance, just like there is with bacteria. There's a balance of that emotion that actually really fosters growth, right? That discomfort kind of fosters growth. You know, I I um I was actually talking to my oldest daughter about this premise um recently, and that's you know, there's I, I've heard a. Uh, as saying whether whether you really believe this from a faith perspective or not is irrelevant for the principle of it. But um, I've heard uh, a saying that is along the lines of, "I prayed for you know God to give grant me patience, so God provided me with situations in which to learn patience." I prayed mm-hmm. for you know whatever the thing is that you're praying for. So the concept of of God isn't the piece I I want to get into. That's irrelevant. But the concept for this piece, but the concept of when you are trying to develop um, a new way of approaching something or a new skill, the concept that you, what you are provided, you know, what the universe provides to you is the environment in which to develop that thing, as opposed mm-hmm. to just the lightning bolt coming down from heaven and now bam, you're patient. It's, it's the same for what we're talking about here. It's the same for what you're talking about in terms of parenting. And it's the same, it's exactly the same concept of our kids need to be exposed to a bit of bacteria. Like we have to be in the environment to develop these skills. They don't just happen. Totally. And I guess it's one of those like kind of seemingly truths of the nature of existence is discomfort creates growth. Yeah. Right. It's not here just to appease and eliminate worry. Right. Because I think the highest part of ourselves that kind of communicates and is part of the universe and stuff, it doesn't deal so much in that in that realm of, you know, worry and angst and stuff. It's a different level of experience Mm. that I think it is there. So I agree, right? Like we're just like, okay, make it stop, right? <laughs> it's just it, it's <laughs> it, it's richer than that. And I also realize that there's part of us that wants more than just the abatement of yeah. that particular worry or suffering, right? We want to grow, right? Yep. And so it's like one of these annoying truths. So it's just like oh, I want to grow, but I want it to be totally easy. And I want and I, <laughs> I also think that it's okay that we want that, right? Because it's yeah. it's a paradox because it almost is attainable but we have to let go of it being easy for it to be easy in a way. That's part of the journey. It is, right? And so all these things about where, where we're not receiving, like where, where are we blocked? Like what are, where are we blocking stuff from coming in? And that's it, you know, again, that's an interesting thing. Um, I'm just jumping around a little bit just because it, it had popped in. I think sometimes too, we get, you know, still on that idea of cognitive bias, but we get um, a narrow focus of where, say, something like, well, going back to money can come from. So even mm-hmm. if we pride ourselves like, okay, like I'm a master manifester, I'm going to create this from this way and that's all going to happen and line up. If, I mean, one, if that happens, that's awesome. But it doesn't always happen that way. So mm-hmm. I think sometimes we get like tunnel vision. So even if we're open to different things, we'll be like, okay, well, I'm going to manifest something and it's going to come from there, that direction. And then we sit (laughs) watching that direction. And meanwhile, there's all these opportunities that are happening that we're not paying attention to because we have that tunnel vision of this, okay, that's where it's coming from. I know I've done that in life. 
And I also know, like for me, the counter of that, some of the best things that have ever happened <clears throat> have been the stuff that's just been like, where the heck did that just come from? Yeah. Right. To the point that I've, I've honestly experienced anxiety of positive things happening because I felt like, oh my gosh, I didn't manifest this from A to end, right? Like I, I, I yeah. it just kind of happened. And I, it was interesting to note the anxiety that would come from. So I know that that has, relates to control. And I know, know that that's one of the frames I put on receiving, right? Again, mm -hmm. I'm just like, okay, well, I'm, I'm willing to receive totally. But just from that or from that person or it's conditional. I'm willing to receive as long as it looks like A, B, C, D. Exactly. If it looks like totally. A, D, N, L that like you know I what don't I mean? do those Wait letters it's out of order and letters. you some things <laughs> yeah totally totally yeah that's a good way to put it I think some people um when it comes to manifesting I think there are some people who have an inner knowing they're very clear about sort of what their process is from A to B and they can be very specific about it my experience in my life is a lot more like what you're talking about where I can think about not not that this is a flawless uh, formula, by the way, but <laughs> generally, if I, I can think about I want this thing in my life, but I have to let the pathway for it to show up in my life. I have to 100% let go of my attachment to how that happens. And to some degree, I, I even have to be like more general about what I want. I, you know, you know, this story, but we moved six months ago and we were looking for the best house for us. I did not go into it with, um, you know, it needs to be exactly this, 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 and this, and it needs to be in this area and whatever. I had like a couple of things that were like, it has to have a dishwasher. I'm not hand washing dishes every day for the rest of my life. So, you know, there were a couple of non-negotiables and I knew our price range and that, and we ended up holding off because we saw a place that was, we walked in and it was so perfect and we were the first people to see it. And it took two weeks to get an answer because the landlord went through a, a much longer process than most landlords do and showed it to every person who applied. And we ended up turning down another property that would have been pretty good for us, uh, banking on the fact that we were going to get this one and just trusting my gut. And we did, but it was a lot of visualization and a lot of, you know, stuff. And we did end up with that and it is the perfect house for us. And I had to go into that whole process with not a ton of specifics, just the general idea that we were not going to settle for less than something that felt like home, something that felt like a magical space for us. You know, that was, that was the framework, really. That's awesome. I love that story. I know. And, and I think what's key there is, is you knew, right? There was something yeah. where you were just like, okay, like, I know that this is going to like in, and you knew you had your guidance yeah. system told you right and that is such a good thing to be to be able to do and i think so i think sometimes like i i've kind of been taught that you know to help manifest things it, it's not the particulars so 
much as the feeling, right? So yeah. if you can kind yeah, of yeah. sit with the feeling. So it's just like, okay, well, like whether or not it's relationships or finances or health or like anything like that, like what is that feeling of those things? What's that like? And I, I agree, it's the how we have to let go of, mm. but we do not want to let go of the how because <laughs> that's how is like so synonymous with control, right? Yeah. And we're like, I don't want to take my hands off the wheel, like screw this, right? Like I'm going to be yeah. able, I got to be able to do it. But I don't, it just doesn't really seem to work like that. I mean, we can have those aspects that we can plan out and we can create for ourselves. But usually, you know, we have one area of our life where we kind of have those, that aspect of receiving and where it gets stickier than others. And, Mm -hmm. you know, whether or not it's finances or relationships or health or something. But anyways, again, like getting, I think a way to really work with the manifesting is, you know, I think it is nice to kind of write out and like vision board and like all that type of stuff, like to get our minds busy. But ultimately, it's the feeling of what those exercises bring that I think is the communication with kind of the universe, right? And then control is almost also just letting go of the time frame. And that's hard too, right? Because we're just like, okay, well, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do it perfectly. And I want it right now. (laughs) It's just like, (laughs) and then it doesn't happen. And we're like, oh, well, this whole thing doesn't work then right? Because it didn't happen on my preconceived mind's idea of immediacy. So I think control is a big thing with respect to letting go of the time frame. Yeah. Um, But again, that feeling is the way of kind of resonant because when we have those feelings of what those things are, as opposed to because the feeling is not necessarily the elimination of worry. So again, just using finance as an example, or if you, you know, you got a big bill or something like that, mm-hmm. and you're just like, oh, I can, I can, you know, kind of feel it. And I just, the elimination of worry and, that, and the bills paid, that's what I want. But that's different from what the feeling would be of to be able to easy, easily and effortlessly pay all your bills. Yes. I think that you have. And that, I think, is what we go to. I agree. I think that so much of the the space of abundance and receiving and manifesting, and there's lots of different words that are like somewhat synonymous in that space, but that end of things, I really think starts with how do you want to feel? It's not the specific, it's not, I want $70 million. I mean, that would be lovely, (laughs) but it's, I, I wouldn't turn it down, but It's not the specifics of that. It is the specifics of what would it feel like for me in my body to be in a space where money was not a concern, where it was easily and effortlessly could do what I wanted without the, uh, without finances being a barrier. Totally. What does that feel like? And then let the rest of it figure totally. itself out and that's so weird because sometimes it's hard to picture what that's actually like mm-hmm. right because whether even if we whether or not we haven't had that ability in the past or sometimes we just can't see past the word we don't know what that kind of freedom would be like but i i like what you just said for another reason too like just that analogy of like say winning you know 70 million dollars and what that would feel like because I've done that before and just played with it. And sometimes there is a little bit of stickiness in terms of like Mm -hmm. one, like, as you said, responsibility, people asking you for like, you know, like all these things that obligation, like all this, suddenly it doesn't take long for these heavy little sticky bits to kind of start obscuring your window. Right. And then suddenly you're like, I 
I can't see out. I'm leaving the room, right? I'm not going to yeah. focus on this anymore. I'm going to avoid it. Um, and I think that those are good opportunities to see where we have those stickinesses, right? And because we all do, and I know I do. And again, a lot of them have, have nothing to do with money. Well, yeah, that's, I think that when you start from a place of what is the feeling that I want to create rather than what are the the material circumstances that I want to create, but like, what, what do I want to feel? And then what do I need to do? Or what needs to be present in my life for me to feel that way? First introduction I ever had to that sort of concept of that direction of thinking was through Danielle Laporte. And she wrote a book, uh, Core Desired Feelings, which was like, I loved it. And it was the first time you know her sort of base question for every day just for figuring out your day was how do I want to feel what do I need to do to feel the way I want to feel yeah I like that that really that's being a great way question, to start the day mm -hmm. great and and a great way to start approaching any project any thing that you're trying to manifest any anything because to me starting with how you want to feel is um, very revealing because even, you know, if we're not talking about money, say we're talking about health, how do I want to feel? When we think about it, sometimes you think, oh, I want to be healthy. Well, sometimes not being healthy serves us in some weird underlying ways. And so when you take that away and now I'm just healthy, but now I'm not receiving the attention that comes with not being healthy or, or whatever those pieces are, um, that I think when you start from that place of how do I want to feel, if you can really let yourself relax into that question and, and be honest with it, it can be really revealing and open up some understanding to the process that otherwise sometimes stays hidden. Yeah, I love that. I love questions in general. Um, mm -hmm. I did a lot of courses with Access Consciousness, and they were big at kind of helping me realize the power of questions, except for the why question. That's usually for our mind. But with asking questions, it's not about like getting that immediate answer from our mind, like, okay, well, this is, you know, like the answer. It's about shifting our kind of perception and our awareness. So we get more data, right? Like we get mm -hmm. more input. So it's like you ask that question. And then suddenly, you know, maybe halfway through the day, you you're like, hey, I feel really good. Well, that's mm -hmm. the feeling, right? Like you start to get the feeling and then you can kind of reverse engineer sometimes different mm -hmm. things that kind of helped with that. So I totally agree. Questions are such a big thing and helpful because they get away from our conclusionary mind, right? Because yeah. our mind yeah. wants to have an answer. But when you're asking questions, you're really just kind of shifting your perceptions and potentially being open um, with respect to awareness and stuff like that. So yeah, I totally um, I agree with that. I like the question what am I avoiding paying attention to here? Like if I have a worry and again, whether or not it's something with respect to finances, health, relationship, something, you know, I like asking that question is like, what am I refusing to see here? Right. Mm -hmm. Not as a judgment, like stuff that you're bad for not seeing it, but like just really being okay. Well, what am I not seeing? I know logically I have filters and bias. So mm -hmm. the question is, is like, what am I refusing to see here? Another variation of that question I really like is, 
What do I know that I'm pretending not to know? Mm -hmm. And I really like that question for all types of aspects of stuff, because it really is that. And you almost, most people that ask that to themselves, they almost start chuckling a little bit because they're like, oh yeah, I guess it's true. I know a lot more than I'm pretending. And it's, and it's interesting. And it's not just the mind, but we realize then like, if you were looking at yourself, like if you were looking from above at Sarah, this little, this piece on a game board kind of going through you'd have a lot different perception of you than you would through the lenses of like all the experience and worry and everything and stuff that's happened in your life. So when we ask that question, what do I know that I'm pretending not to know? I think we go into kind of omniscient kind of game creator mode where we can look down and really see stuff. And yeah, uh, I like that. I like that too. That, that, yeah, the concept of what am, what am I avoiding seeing here is Mm -hmm. uh, if you can, I mean, it requires a willingness to be honest with yourself and and let those answers appear. <laughs> uh, being willing to receive the answers. <laughs> well, exactly, right? So that's what's interesting. And you, you realize how quickly like this can go from, you know, that thing we think about like in terms of money, but it's just really that aspect of, of being open to receive everything. Mm-hmm. And again, that sounds wonderful on one level, but scary as all on another level, right? Yeah. Because again, that's where we're not, we don't, our, our protection mechanisms, all the coping that we've had to do throughout our lifetimes, really to fully, fully receive, we're kind of taking that stuff away a little bit. And trusting Mm -hmm. then, right? So again, there's that that big T word, like trust, right? So Mm -hmm. that's a big part of it is it's like, okay, well, if I let down my protection mechanisms to receive, how do I know I'm not going to be hurt, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a a big thing because the ultimate is is you don't, right? And it's a trust aspect, not trust even that you won't get hurt, but that whatever unfolds is towards your journey of kind of evolving in this lifetime as best you can. Anyways, that's a tangent, but it is an interesting thing because it is, um, it's all related. I I agree. I think that at the crux of it, if we're talking about what keeps us stuck in lack, and I've spent some time preparing to record this, really thinking about this stuff, I think that there are two main umbrellas that um, you can put lots of adjectives into, but I think there's sort of two main umbrellas that they fall into. I think one of them is fear Mm -hmm. um, because it paralyzes us. It shuts us down. It can set us into that fight, flight, or freeze response. Um, And there's a lot of different ways that manifests. And the story that can go with that, you know, there's not enough for everyone. uh, So it's selfish of me um, to get what I want. Uh, there's the fear of what would I have to do if I actually did get it? Like what comes with that? Do I think I want this, but I don't want everything that comes with it. There's a lot of stories that come under that umbrella. The other umbrella that I think to my way of seeing is the, um, it's the comparison umbrella. So it's comparison and envy and self-judgment and self-worth and all of that stuff. And the story that I see around there, or certainly, um, you know, one that I have sort of worked to navigate my way through at different times in my life is if I get what I want, it would somehow mean that I think I'm better than other people. 
Interesting. Or the flip side of, I envy what others get. And so you hear that a lot, right? I hear that in conversation from people a lot, like, oh, great, they've got a, that guy won the lottery, good, good for him. That, but somehow their uh, success, in, I think in some people's mind, equates to my lack when they're completely uh, unattached <laughs> circumstances. Totally. I've seen that a lot, like even just with health stuff and practice mm -hmm. and different things. And, you know, there's the, um, whether or not it's fertility, different things like that, that people can, and it's totally understandable that we go Absolutely. into reaction, right? This is not to judge people's reactions because no. no. I react with the best of them. So it's all good, but it is interesting how we do that. So what's the counter of that? Like, what can we do to help negate that second kind of comparison, self-judgment thing? because it's challenging. I think the way to do it, well, one way to do it is to really celebrate other people's wins. I agree. Right? And it's okay that that's hard. Because <laughs> right? yes. I think, again, that's where the self-judgment and forgiveness piece for us comes in to be like, you know, like that person, they just got this wonderful house on a lake with the, this wonderful thing. Like, I want that, but, you know, okay, I, I know I should be happy for them, but I'm a bit resistant is allow all those things to happen, right? Like, as mm -hmm. you said at the beginning, just be mindful of it all. And I think when we are, it is able, easier to be like, okay, well done, right? Like well manifested. And I think actually at the end, when we like go through a couple of layers, you can be like more of that, please universe. That yes. is kind of that energy that I want. Right. And, but it, it, it's okay. It's a bit of a journey to get there because again, like the comparison, self-judgment that the, those themes are areas we don't often want to sift through. Yeah. And I guess kind of, you know, what you've been saying, and I guess what stands out too, is like the willingness to be, to go towards discomfort Yes. The willingness to go towards uncomfortable feelings is possibly one of the best things we can do to open ourselves up to receive. And it's hard to do. It's really hard to do. I um, worked with a therapist years ago um, for disordered eating stuff. And she talked about, she used the phrase, that what we needed to work on was increasing my capacity for discomfort. Mm -hmm. And I think it is the best phrase to, that just encapsulates that. And I think it's what is required in any kind of growth or healing um, work that that's what we have to work towards is increasing our capacity for discomfort, but we have to choose to take it on in bite-sized pieces. It's not uh, zero to 60 all in one, it, you know, it, it, in, in the spectrum of the disordered eating, it was the concept of, okay, I want to eat that thing. And I know I'm probably going to end up binging on that thing. So the deal was I had to wait five minutes. I could still eat it if at the end of five minutes I wanted it, but that's where we started was like, okay, so you're going to put a time frame that's not crazy, five minutes. And if that's too much, then we start at one minute and you wait 
And then you reassess how you feel about that thing. And that's the little stepping stones to increasing the capacity for discomfort. And I think it is absolutely applicable in this same, in, in what we're talking about too, that getting at those pieces of comparison or fear or whatever, those reactions, when we can get conscious about them, those reactions, we actually have some choice over how we react. They're not just, they don't just happen. We actually can choose whether to go down this path or that path. And the mechanism for shifting them is increasing that capacity for discomfort. Totally. Going into something that's just not as easy. Yeah. It's like you can go into your basement and grab something and then bring it upstairs. And once it's upstairs, you have a better kind of say of what you want to do with it. Then you can choose what to do with it because it's out in the open. You can see it. But yeah, it's not always comfortable to go into that deep, dark basement and get it. And I think sometimes even in and of itself, it's overwhelming how once we begin to realize how much we're not aware of, right? Mm -hmm. And so much stuff is suddenly kind of coming in. You're like, whoa. But that is, I think, one of the most empowering kind of um, states to be in where you're mindful of the stuff coming up and then you get to choose the reaction through it. And and then forgive ourselves no matter kind of what happens along the way. Because I think that the forgiveness and the self-judgment is a sticky one, obviously, no kind of no matter what. Um, so I just wanted to mention one other thing that just kind of popped in just because I know we're kind of running out of time here is one thing that I have felt for myself that has been helpful to get past all the stickiness we talked to, help get past all the... Um, um, kind of reactions and the discomfort, the micro and the macro discomfort, everything like that, is if I ask myself, okay, well, what contribution can I be here? It really seems to shift things a lot for me because it makes it not all about me. Now, I'm not saying like, because you can go too far the other way, like in terms of being a martyr and be like, oh, right. no, like, I was like, it's all about everything out there and yeah. all them yeah. and poor me and stuff. It's not that. But it's basically like, okay, you know, if I'm contributing here, if we, this is a kingdom of we, so to speak, and we're all in this somewhat together, mm -hmm. you know, if I'm looking at what my contribution can be, suddenly those individual sticky bits for me don't seem as prevalent. And mm -hmm. um, I find that that's a helpful tool. Yeah. Is what contribution can I be here? Even if I'm thinking about like whether or not it's money, different things, um, it's just like, okay, well, what contribution can I be? And I think that that helps me be open to receive in a certain way. And it's not conditional. It's not just one exchange. Well, okay, mm -hmm. well, if I, you know, it's not like, oh, if I win the lottery, I'm going to donate it all, except for a small part. Like, it's not that. It's not a conditional exchange. But it is an energy type of thing in terms of, okay, if it's all about me kind of contributing somehow, which I do think at the end of the day it is for mm -hmm. all of us, then those sticky bits are a little less prevalent. And I think we are a little bit easier to receive. I agree with you. And I think that, I mean, you can translate that loosely into a very old practice of tithing. Now, I'm not saying that you have to donate 10% of your income to the church that don't mistake what I'm saying. But the, the um, idea that you build into your life, a way to give. Mm -hmm that's the concept that appeals to me. I don't 
need you to donate it to the church and I don't need it to be a specific amount. It you know, and it doesn't even have to be money. It can be energetically, it can be um, in service of, it can be, but building in a practice of giving, I think I agree with you, makes it easier to receive. I also think that this can be where um, a gratitude practice is incredibly useful because it shifts mm. your mindset to, instead of sitting in a place of like envy and comparison, you get to focus on what are the things that I'm very grateful for in my life. And that is not something that comes super naturally to everybody. So mm -hmm. having a practice, whatever that looks like for you, but having a practice where you check into that headspace, that emotion on a regular basis can be really great for resetting your system to, um, to start to start from that place rather than end there. Deep. I love that. I love it. I love that you said gratitude because that's so true. It is one of the most powerful kind of states and energies that there is. And it's mm -hmm. one of those hard, you can't fake it at the same time. But when you do the stuff like a gratitude journal, it sparks a little bit. And even if you write down five things that you're grateful for, one of them will really stand out likely to you. And then you, again, it won't be a concept. It'll be a feeling. Mm -hmm. And that feeling of gratitude, I think, is where energy really likes to flow most efficiently and spectacularly, right? And that yeah. then goes for receiving and contributing. So it's just like, I, I think you nailed it there. Like, I think gratitude is such a, is such a powerful thing with respect to receiving. Um, one question for you, can you, I like the tithing and the 10%, mm. but when you're starting out, can you do that and give to yourself? Like, can you honor yourself somehow by doing that? Mm -hmm. That's a very interesting question to me. Um, there is absolute validity in doing that, but I don't feel like it's the same thing as giving to others. Okay. Uh, and that's just a personal mm -hmm. um, perspective, because I think that part of uh, what's really beneficial in terms of creating space for abundance and receiving is the willingness to give. And so it's not just a one-way street. And if you are giving to yourself so that you can receive in yourself, that feels like it's still pretty one-sided. So to me, there, there needs to be a practice built into your life, or I, you know, ideally, um, we're building in a practice into our lives that is in some way giving to other people. Like I said, money, being of service, energetically, it doesn't have to look one specific way, but it's that concept mm -hmm. of creating the two-way street. Mm-hmm. No, that's interesting. And I, yeah, I don't know what the answer is. Like, I think, um, I mean, just to kind of take a different view on that, like, I think mm -hmm. with respect, if we're using the analogy of relationships, you know, you can, um, if you're in a relationship, if you're not loving yourself to a certain degree, mm -hmm. that's going to impact both your ability to love and receive love. Absolutely. So, that's what I was thinking of a little bit with that 10% type of thing, right? Like in terms of honoring yourself type of an aspect. And so you can allow that 
flow somehow to kind of come in. Cause I, I guess, um, cause I just see it a lot with people is we don't honor ourselves. Yeah. Right. And I know that there's a different thing. And I, I know this is, I'm kind of, this isn't exactly what you meant. Cause I, I know you would agree with, agree with me on that, but I do think it's interesting just in terms of that aspect of, of, of what part are we conscious of, of that goodness, that tithe, that 10%. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's an interesting thing. And I, cause I guess really you can't put it into any box is like, sometimes it's good to have that as an idea of, so I want to save this up or energetically or time or finances or money, actual currency, and then donate it. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. There, you know, there can't be, that's such a genuine thing. But I also think if you're just like, okay, well, I want to bank some stuff that I'm conscious with, mindful with, again, whether or not that's time, resources, something, but I'm going to honor myself through it. I think that that's okay too. And I, I, I think again, it just step to step. Yeah. I a hundred percent think that that is a, a great practice and incredibly valid. I'm just not sure that from my perspective, they necessarily serve the same purpose. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think again, it's, yeah. Cause again, that's a key is coming back to, okay, well, what contribution can I be? Yeah. Right. And that contribution is going to be specific to person and specific, even with a person in different circumstances. Mm-hmm. And I guess that comes back to why it's important to kind of keep asking questions because it can change. Right. And so I think there's an aspect of, of, um, uh, yeah, it's interesting because I, I do think it's okay to like quantify like our contributions because in an essence, that's kind of what we're talking about. But anyway, sorry, what are you going to say? But, well, it, it's actually interesting the way you just phrased that because if you're, if the question is what contribution can I be and you're talking about investing in the self-care so that you are in a place to be able to contribute, that's great but we're still talking about the outer contribution. Totally. Yeah, no, definitely. So to me, the the concept of tithing is the outer contribution. How can I contribute? Yeah. I guess that's the difference. And I think a whole, we will end up doing a whole episode on (laughs) self-care and how it contributes to relationship, because I think that that's a Mm -hmm. vast topic in and of itself. I think we'll probably do one on gratitude as well. Like, both of those mm-hmm. are pretty full topics to explore. I like this. I'm going to be thinking today about a lot of stuff. Or yeah. I should say, I'm going to be aware of some stuff today. I'm going to go. ask myself some questions here. <laughs> but anyways, I think we're getting close to our end here. Yeah, um, I think that's and again, a good place to wrap it up. I think so. So thank you, Sarah. Like I, I'm... Mm-hmm. Even just our last like five minutes of conversation, I, I realize there's spots to look at for me where I've preconceived or even have a cognitive bias with respect mm-hmm. to how contributions can look right to other mm-hmm. people, you know, or to life in, in, in general. So I'm excited. I got questions to ask and probably some uncomfortable bits to kind of sort of root around it in there because of this. I think that uh, I think that goes for both of us. And I think yeah. that's the great um thing about these conversations is that it really just opens some doors to look deeper look deeper into that basement and see those, <laughs> see those, sometimes see it's a horror movie <laughs> so, 
sometimes it is. <laughs> but then sometimes you turn on the light and it's all wonderful and there's a game right? room down there. So it's, never, no it's, it's often not as bad as we think. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've got to go look. We've yeah. got to go look. That's the thing. Anyways, well, thank you very much, Sarah. And um, we'll see you next time. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for joining our conversation today. You can head over to thisbiglifepodcast.com for all the show notes and information. If you loved what you heard here today, would you do us a favor and rate and review the show? It helps more people just like you discover these juicy conversations. And if you know someone you think would love this particular episode, you can even go ahead and share it with them right now. And if you have a topic you would love to hear us discuss, or someone you think would make a great guest for our show, you can submit your ideas using the link in the show notes. And you can always find us on Instagram, at This Big Life Podcast. Thanks again. We'll be right back here in your ears next Tuesday. See you then. Thank you.